what I say to people, because a lot of like folks who want to get into coaching call me and you really have to build it onto a, a, a particular like value add you already have. Somebody called me and they were actually an Olympic medal winner. And so right away, well, you have to link it to that, that sports performance. My name is Dimitri and I'm a productivity and systems enthusiast. I'm Chance. I'm a philosophy and self-development enthusiast. And you're listening to the Rise Productive Podcast. The show where productivity meets business. And what it means to build better systems. Enjoy the show. Hello everyone and welcome back to episode 173 of the Rise Productive Podcast. In today's episode, Chance and I will be interviewing Antonia... Bowring? Did I say that right? Bowring? Second one? All right. Look at that. Um, (laughs) Love to hear it. So we'd love to hear a little bit about yourself, uh, who you are, and how you got started doing what you're doing. Yeah, sure. So I'll give you the short version. And if you want a longer version, you can ask me the, the questions you're so good at. So I'm an executive coach, and I've been doing this for... I know this might seem like a long time, over a decade now. And um, it is fantastic work because you get to do a lot of me search, right? I get to spend a lot of time thinking about things that might be helpful for my clients and trying it myself or exploring it myself. So it's great. And um, I have done a bunch of other things before this. Executive coaching is never anyone's first career. And if it is, I would run the other way as fast as you can. Um, I was in microfinance, um, traveling all over the world. (laughs) And then I did an MBA. Oh, I worked at the World Bank too. I forgot about that. And then I was a management consultant. And then I sort of rose through the ranks of, you know, leadership positions primarily in large nonprofits, and then ran one that went bankrupt. Uh, it was the story in and of itself. And then I thought, well, I actually don't have a high risk tolerance because people say, oh my God, like you, you know, you're so entrepreneurial. You, you have such a risk tolerance. I'm like, no, when you have zero, there's no risk to try something, right? <laughs> it's, it's all up. And, um, and literally, I never looked back. It was like, wow, I think I was a late bloomer, but this is what I was born to do. It just took me a while to get there. But all the twists and turns along the way, I think, make me, uh, including getting fired at one point, make me a much better coach today. Yeah, and I guess I'm curious. I want to dig in a little bit more on that initial jump towards going into the executive coaching because I think a lot of people in the audience are kind of sitting in that phase of inaction where it's like, you know, I'm thinking about starting this thing. I'm in between things maybe, but, or maybe I'm enjoying, I'm in this job I don't really enjoy. And so I'd love to hear about that leap you made where you kind of fought against being a very risk averse type of person. Well, it, it would have been risky for me to leave a, you know, a well-paid job with nice benefits, um, mm. that, that would have been not like my risk profile. Right. And, and, you know, I, I have kids and a spouse and 
I was running a this, I opened an office for a nonprofit that was based in California that helped low-income women start businesses. Mm. And we were doing really well, fundraising a lot, programmatically, we were doing really well. But we had no control over our funds, right? All the money we raised went to sort of the California headquarters. And um, so when they kind of were going down the tubes, we just had no control. And the one thing I remember really clearly thinking to myself was, I'm tired of my success being dictated by mm-hmm. things I can't control. And, and I had someone on my board who ran talent at City and we had brought in some executive coaches to help these women pro, pro bono or who were starting businesses. And at the end, one of uh, this woman became like really my mentor um, mm-hmm. in so many ways. And she said, so what are you going to do when we knew we were going to shut things down? Cause we, you know, didn't have any more money and were very tired. And I said, I don't know. I really don't know. I just know I want to control my future, you know? And she said, you should take my executive coaching course at NYU. You're a natural. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I never looked back. I did the 21st century equivalent of, what do they call it? Hanging up your, your shingle, your sign. I, you know, slapped <laughs> up a website and uh, away I went. Interesting. So I'm curious how, when you were first in that experience, I know that, so you, you first spoke to when you don't have anything, right? Then you can do it ever you want because you have no risk. But I'm curious if you could elaborate on that frame of mind a little bit more, because I have a very low risk tolerance. Um, myself, and I'm, I'm curious if, if you could speak to what you mean by that a little bit more. Yeah. So, I I will say in full transparency mm. that you know sometimes life just um, gives you gifts, right? And mm-hmm. and you mm-hmm. got to be open to taking them. But um, as the organization I was working for went down the tubes. Yeah. My my spouse got hired in a really fabulous finance company. Mm-hmm. Think ka-ching, ka-ching. And so <laughs> you know, to be to be totally honest, that gave me sure. um a platform from what from from which I I had a couple of years to you know, I didn't have to bring home all the bacon, sure. right? And so that was a huge gift and one that I um, really deeply appreciated. Um, but I, I think, you know, it's funny, I haven't thought about it, but the first thing that happened when I went into business uh, or, you know, started the business was mm-hmm. I tore, I tore my ACL and uh. was sort of literally like, I mean, have you, either of you torn your ACL if you're runners? No, I've never, never torn my ACL. No, don't, don't, don't do it. But so I was kind of like, I couldn't move around much. Sure. And so I spent so much time on the phone, just like literally 
the networks I'd built up through a whole bunch of different, you know, parts of my life, my, my kids' schools, my, my career, my board seat and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like it's hard the first few times you make those calls, but you, you make enough of them and you, it becomes a muscle that you develop. And, you know, you're actually reminding me, I was on the board of something called Hot Bread Kitchen. I'm okay. still on the board. It's a fantastic organization. And we had a very high profile board member called Christina Tosi. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if, if you, uh, she's um, on like, um, I don't know, Netflix TV shows. Um, she's started a cookie company and became a top oh. chef judge and all this. She's, she's pretty well known around here and um, written a bunch of cookbooks. Like she's a media personality. Sure. Mm-hmm. And I literally reached out to people like her that from different parts of my life and said, Hey, you know, I'm doing this. Do you need any help? And I actually coached. Wow. I coached at her company as it was growing. I did manager trainings. And in fact, I'm about to start coaching the CEO of a vertical agriculture company because someone who worked there went to work for him. And now, like, that's how it happens. I, I forgot all those. Do- <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it was a lot of just like, having calls, what do you need? And, and my philosophy was, I did a lot for almost nothing at the beginning. Um, But then, and it was very key, a key thing I would say to someone who's starting a business, Mm -hmm. um, try and get to know board members, right? Use board connections. And because if you do something for a board, they work for other companies or other organizations and they see you and it sort of multiplies. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I, I appreciate the, the reminiscing here on some of those first uh, calls you were on. And uh, I think another initial leap that you have to make is uh, not only reaching out and saying like, hey, I'm starting this. What do you need? But also answering the question of what can I provide? I know in mm-hmm. the in the little response you gave us here, you said you've been refining your value proposition throughout the years, but I'm curious what that looked like initially with your diverse background experiences and then how is that value proposition may have altered or changed throughout time? Yeah, that's, you know, you are getting um chance to, I think, the heart of of when folks go out and start a consulting business or a coaching business or, and I will admit, I, I, I was, I did exactly the same thing. I was like, well, what do you need? I can do it. Oh, you need, oh yeah, I can do that. I can, you, you want to be everything to everyone. And what I say to people, cause a lot of like, folks who want to get into coaching call me and Mm -hmm. um or want to talk to me about it and there was someone who called me about it recently and you really have to build it onto a a, a particular like value add you already have that's 
like somebody, um, I can't think of, somebody called me and they had been doing a lot of um, work. They were actually an, an Olympic medal winner. Oh, cool. And yeah. And so right away, well, you have to link it to that, that sports performance, that team mentality, the kind of habit formation you need. And that's what you need to lead with. And then you add the coaching onto that. Yeah. So I made all the mistakes of thinking I could do everything. Um, how has it evolved? I will be honest with you. It shifts sometimes. There are times when I do a lot of leadership offsites. Mm -hmm. There are other times there's a few assessments I use and I now specialize and mainly do workshops around those assessments and do workshops around the, the frameworks in the book I wrote, I, I just published. And a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching and sometimes team coaching, but it's evolved based also on, you know, what the market wants and also based on my interest. Hmm. It's boring to do the same thing over and over. So I'm actually curious a little bit more about um, maybe something that could be considered your interest as well as when going through your website and then obviously just plug, you talked about your, your new book for a second. Um, yeah. I'm curious about ADHD, ADHD leaders um, and what this kind of means to you and, and, and how, you know, this is, this plays a part in your business. Yeah. So that is, so that's, that's an interesting kind of development. So I got an adult, diagnosis of ADHD after my son did. Oh, okay. Um, and he was just starting high school. And I think this is quite typical. You know, the parent kind of takes the kid to the tester and gets mm -hmm. results. And you're going, wow, that sounds like me. <laughs> and, um, and so it took me a, a couple more years to kind of like actually go through the testing and everything. Um, and so I'll give you the real short version and I can jump into any piece of it. It was like literally life-changing for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I would say probably 30% of my work now, 25, 30 is with neurodivergent clients sure. and the rest with neurotypical, but, um, it's a real, kind of passion area. So that's what my next book will be about. And I'm, it's also like executive coaching is in some ways quite rarefied, quite expensive. Yeah. And there's so many people with ADHD. Mm -hmm. So getting them really good um, resources that they can afford is something I'm also interested in exploring more. Hmm. Okay. So I actually have heard other people recently who have been that in that same situation where they've gone to the doctor and been like, Oh, sounds a little bit like uh, kiddo's got some me in him and maybe I got some kiddo in me. Um, I was wondering, by the way, could you clarify for the audience? Cause 
I'm not sure how normalized the term is, like neurodivergent versus neurotypical. Yeah. So ADHD is one example of being um, neurodivergent. And I will be very clear. I primarily talk about ADHD because, um, you know, on the spectrum, autism, other things, I just don't feel knowledgeable enough. Totally fair. Mm -hmm. And, and, and they're different, you know, you can't lump everything together. Um, and neurotypical is just someone who, if they took the testing for ADHD, wouldn't, would score differently on focus, processing time, sure. um, task completion, um, impulsivity, things like that. And I wanted to dig deeper into one part of that because you said that it was life-changing for you, that diagnosis. Yeah. Could you clarify what made it <laughs> what? life-changing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. So I, like, my brain thinks in frameworks okay. I, I, somehow. And um, the way I like to think about it is it, there is a, a profound piece of that diagnosis and a practical piece. And you have to, you live with both of those moving forward. And so on the profound side, um, like I just got to go back and reframe a lot of my life and go, Oh, <laughs> I'm not like a total loser. It's just my brain is wired different. Oh, the fact that I can't focus very well in conversations, except when I'm coaching clients, but I mean, in a crowd, it's really hard for me to focus on someone. Um, it doesn't mean I'm deficient as a person or, you know, the fact that um, I walk from my office to put something at the door and I do four things on the way and forget why I was going to the door in the first place. like it's just kind of who I am. And there, you know, when you, when you hear people's stories, there's a huge amount of shame because you, you kind of want to do things and, and just be doing it the normal way, but it's just not that easy. And, and, and because for someone like me who didn't grow up at a time where everybody was talking about it, like I actually, I don't even think I really heard the words, it wasn't that long ago, 10 years ago, maybe. Um, there, it, it, I, it's hard to explain the way it just gave me so much confidence because it was like, oh, I'm actually okay. I'm actually like pretty great. I'm not like a loser. So that's the profound part. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I'm not sure I would have written the book if I hadn't had the diagnosis. Sure. Um, it just, it just opened up um, so much for me in terms of believing in myself. Um, and the practical pieces, so when you get a diagnosis, it's, some people don't want to get a diagnosis because they think, oh, well, then it's an excuse. You know, people use it as an excuse. Yeah. You know, that's bullshit. You get the diagnosis, and then that gives you information, and you have a responsibility to act on that information, right? So let me give you like a, can I give you like a super yeah. like micro example? Mm -hmm. 
I said it's hard for me in crowds, right? Um, if I met you chance at a party and we were talking, I would say to you now, hey, listen, I, I'm, I have trouble focusing in a crowd because I have ADHD. Can we go sit by that wall and talk to each other there? Sure. Yeah. That's, like that is so simple. That's a nothing. That's, but it is so liberating to just be who you are. And then also know there's a better way to do something where you'll get better results. I feel heard and you will feel like I'm focused on you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Just being, you know, almost like vulnerable or at the least transparent with people does just open the, the gateway for connection in that sense. So yeah, that, that's, that's really a, a nice uh, practical um, <clears throat> takeaway from the diagnosis. But um, I guess that kind of leads into another question I was going to have more on the practical side. But um, Dimitri and I talk about this quite a bit with his whole side hustle journey, which also kind of aligns with like a, a personal journey where it's like you're figuring out how to run your business, but you also kind of learn a lot about yourself when you keep putting yourself out there for clients or on the internet. And so it seems mm -hmm. like in some sense you, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily aligned or something you discovered because of the, the coaching, but something that you end up working into the coaching. And so I'm curious if there were any other practical or profound um, takeaways that you had that you're able to apply to your coaching. I know that you kind of um, have situated your, your client avatar a little bit towards the, the neurodivergent client clients, avatar. But... That's so great. I love that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I would say that, um, so I'm an executive coach who deeply yep. understands ADHD. Sure. I am not an ADHD coach, which is much more like an executive function coach, mm -hmm. very like accountability focused, like you sit and do to-do lists together, you talk about, like it's very um, micro, right? Sure. Mm -hmm. And I can do some of that, but there, I have a few people that work for me who do that that's all they do. Whereas I'm much more about the business results. How are you using the ADHD superpowers? Um, you know, what, what do we do for the pieces that are getting in the way of your success? So it's, it's more like an additional layer um, that I bring into the coaching, but it's not like, you know, the, the total focus of what we're doing. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, and it, it's really well put that it's a, it's like another tool in your toolbox, but it's not the, the thing. Right. Yeah. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, one thing, and again, you can't really generalize because that's one of the challenges with ADHD, like, you know, between inattentive and kind of the, the, the very hyperactive, you know, there's so many different shades of, of gray in there. But as a generalization, um, a lot of founders, a lot of founders, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs have ADHD. I, I don't have the statistic on the top of my head, sure. but it is, I should, but um, <laughs> it's more, it's more prevalent in that community. And, you know, they are doing a lot of things all at the same time, right? 
one thing where ADHD seems to be quite helpful is when they're doing capital raises, when they're raising, you know, fundraising for their businesses. Because for a lot of folks with ADHD, there's two kinds of time, now and not now, right? And it, time is a huge conundrum uh-huh. for a lot of people with ADHD. And when you're fundraising, that's all you're doing, right? Like sure. that is it. doesn't matter what your five-year strategy is. doesn't like you are fundraising. And there's a lot of balls in the air, but it's all now. <laughs> just now <laughs> and they really excel at it um so am i answering your question no yeah then that, that makes a lot of sense yeah you're able to i guess in some sense um help them see like you know a little bit more perspective especially when they're getting a little i don't want to you know like you said not overgeneralized, but they're hyper fixating perhaps in some sense. And you're able to say like, Hey, like, you know, let's name that. And then say that there's other things that, you know, we also need to be focusing on. Yeah. And I think the other thing, you know, it's an, it's an interesting point. I'm I'm curious what you all think. Um, I have a bit of a bias that I think it's hard to be a coach to folks with ADHD. If you, if you don't have, ADHD, although I'm sure there are some fantastic coaches that don't have ADHD that have clients with ADHD, but I think I have so much empathy for particularly adult diagnoses, Um, the stories they've told themselves their whole life and, and, and their inability to actually claim successes, right? It's, it's it's kind of tragic in a way. And so a, there is a big piece, this profound fee, piece of helping them, helping folks regain their confidence and, and almost like rewrite their story in a way that celebrates their gifts and successes because they, they tend to be very downplayed. Um, and then to your point, like, you know, also kind of calling them on some of the practical things. Most of my clients can afford, it's within their scope to get help, right? And that's hugely important. Um, I definitely outsource things now because I'm just not good at it. And I'm not good at it. And it takes me more time. And it just raises my cortisol levels, mm. all admin, all invoicing, all expenses, taxes, all that kind of stuff. Get rid of it if you can. <laughs> I know that's a privilege, but. No, I agree. It's, it's a pain in the ass. I mean, it's, no, it's just, it's just, totally. not, it's just, a, I don't like, <laughs> eh, oh, oh. I'm on board with that one. Um, taxes are an enigma. Um, very confusing yeah. all the time. I was curious based on your diagnosis and what you've seen sort of in, and maybe some of the coaches that you've had or said the people you've coached or people you've interacted with, has there been anybody else that you know personally who was a very high functionally high functioning individual that then found out when they were an adult that they had ADHD? Yes. Interesting. Yes. Yes, definitely. 
and, and I'll tell you, um, I had a conversation with um, a woman who a woman who was interviewing me, or we were, you know, interviewing each other to see mm-hmm. if we were going to work together. And she was she not was is a medical doctor, <laughs> and had been in research and academic positions, and is now in a company, like unbelievably successful and only got diagnosed as an adult well after she'd finished all her medical training and undergraduate degree and everything. And we, I, I mean, I didn't cry or anything like that, but I felt mm-hmm. a little emotional. We were both saying we worked cripply as hard as anyone we knew. We both, like she was saying I did really well. And I was saying I did really well too. And but I swear to God, I worked three times as hard. Um, I never developed that muscle muscle of, okay, how do you look at the big picture? And how do you prioritize? And how do you kind of take a, a little bit of a calculated risk or guess on what's going to be on the exam? No, I had to know everything 100%. Because that was the only, and everything was like, I had stacks of index cards, you know, to the roof. And it wasn't efficient. I didn't know how to do it differently. And she and I both commented on that, that it, yeah, like it was hard. And, and I always felt, and she also said this, I had to get the professor to like me. It was really important the professor liked me because I wasn't that smart. And if I didn't get him or her to like me, I might not do as well. I needed everything that I could muster to work in my favor or I'd fail. Like how sad, like how stupid (laughs) and sad is that? Okay. Yeah. 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 As someone who's still in school, I, I don't personally, uh, I've had to fight that, that temptation to really get professors to like me. Um, yeah. but yeah, no, I mean, it, it's a temptation. And I think, uh, that's a really nice story of you kind of being able to empathize with your client there and you're kind of putting, you know, the, the words in each other's mouths with that shared experience. Um, yeah. that's really exciting. And, uh, no, I mean, I, I love, I love this conversation just because it really does show that, um, you know, you can have the authority in the space. Like you could be someone who is really well-versed maybe on the medical side of ADHD, or you're someone who just has that lived experience and is able to say, Hey, like, I'm not the expert, but this is like something that I can also add to our coaching. And so, yeah, it just goes to show that like the empathy can also be a a great form of accountability. Someone who feels bad because they really enjoy who you are and they don't want to let you down more than someone that, you know, they fear, you know, they don't want to see like... (laughs) the negative consequences of letting down an authority more so than like a, a peer. Yeah. Um, and so that's to that point, a beautiful I, I, way of putting it. Thank you. I really like that. that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious, what are, um, in, in your opinion, some other strengths that someone who's into the coaching realm really needs to have and what can help add to doing great in the profession? Oh, you know, that is, um, it's funny. I'm, I'm in a mind coaches group, like 
that's all you do when you're a coach. You're always like doing me search, right? Research yeah. about this or that and blah, blah, blah. And um, I'm in this master's coaching group. And I was saying this morning, because I like bright, shiny objects, right? I've always got like 12 projects and they don't always come to fruition. But I was thinking it would be really interesting to write a paper or an article, not a paper, um, about how executive coaches' approaches have evolved over the last, you know, several years. So your question is very timely. Um, I would say that two things. One, um, there is a much greater prioritization of the entire person. So, you know, I'm called in really to talk about business issues, right? Like that's the focus, right? How do we make more money? How do we sell more of this? How do we work better as a team so we can grow the business? But it is a lot more focused on the whole person now. And I think generationally, you know, leaders that are older have just been forced (laughs) because (laughs) younger generations are like, yeah, it's, we're whole people. Like, no, we're not working, you know, 48 hours without sleep. Sorry. (laughs) Um, So I think the whole person focus, I think also um, the somatic focus. So kind of connecting kind of, like rationally what's happening, emotionally what's happening, and somatically what's happening, meaning in your body, right? What do you, yeah. I would say good coaches, uh, I'm biased here, um, are more integrated, more integrative today. And, and, And quite frankly, you know, I think the most interesting part of coaching is kind of what's called transformational coaching, right? Personally, I want everybody to have purpose that is about making the world a better place. (laughs) That's my secret agenda. (laughs) You know, do I really just care about you getting like a promotion? Not really. I really want you to figure out what your talents are, feel gratitude, Mm -hmm. um, be kind to people. And make a positive contribution to the world. That's what I'm secretly trying to do with all my clients. Don't tell them. (laughs) Yeah, it's an honorable secret agenda. We can appreciate that. (laughs) Mitch, you got a question here? Yeah, no, I was going to say that. um, I mean, I totally agree. That's uh, that's something that we all should be, we hopefully be striving for. And I was curious, by the way, because I was taking a look at your... um, Putting this conversation a little bit more, I was curious about your TikTok because I think it's oh, very. Did you look at it? Huh? Did you look at it? I did take a look at your TikTok. You, did, you make, did you make? Did you? Are you a follower? Um, I was looking at it in prep for this interview. I'm 100% anti TikTok as a pe- oh. for myself. For myself. But still, be a. Please follow me. All I right. mean, please tell people. I'm. I have high aspirations. Oh, I, uh, I believe you're going to achieve those high aspirations and I'll give you a follow. Oh yeah. I mean, I think I I find it entertaining. I I just have a hard time personally with going on TikTok because 
then I'm going to get sucked into the whole thing. I think uh, Chance can attest to this. There's a lot of people in our generation who unfortunately spend an inordinate amount of hours on TikTok. I I see what happens when YouTube shorts pop up for me. It's crazy. Can I tell you something? Yeah. Oh, I don't know how to use TikTok. Good. (laughs) Good. So I only know how to post. Thank God. That's great. I don't know how to look at anything, really. So, um... Yeah, what do you, what, oh, I would, Hi, yeah, ADHD what can I tell you about it? Tonya Bowering, what executive. would you like to know? I would like to know what made you want to start posting on TikTok? Yeah. And what is your, like, approach towards making content? Because, like, for example, there was, I, I think it's very interesting that you have, like, a lot of these ADHD topics. There's one where you talk about, like, ADHD and coffee. Um, and I just found that, that very, it was very, it's very human. It's very human. So oh. I was curious what your approach was towards okay. making it. So I... I paid a management, con- a brand strategy firm, half a million dollars. No, I no, not yet. I, I, um, I, you know, it's kind of about my, ne- it's like for my next book, right? Okay. I want to, um, I feel really passionate about people feeling like they're whole beings and whole people and, and I, I, I just want the day to be where we just say, oh, yeah, I'm neurodivergent. Yeah, I have ADHD. And you say to me, oh, yeah, okay. What accommodations do you like in meetings? Like, that would just be perfect, right? I think. Hey, I, oh, and there's so much diversity of thinking and approach. Anyways, we're going to get there. So I started the TikTok stuff because... I just wanted an outlet. Like I have all these like ideas and factoids and I'm like, and I just thought, I don't know what to do with it all. And so I just started and somebody had helped me (laughs) open an account. And uh, I I had to ask someone actually the other day at the gym, how do I do a poll? And uh, then they showed me how to do it. It's a sticker. But um, I... I am trying to post two or three times a day because I wanted to get to a thousand followers. Cause by the way, I don't know one of my followers, right? Like, I don't know. <laughs> They're not my friends and family. And I wanted to get to a thousand by the end of the year. I'm going to way surpass that. And then yeah. I want to go viral Heck yeah. because yeah, because I think um, this is going to be an important audience for my next book about, ADHD and, and it's going to be about ADHD and leadership, I think. But um, I don't know when I get a comment, I get them now and then where people say, Oh, wow. Like I've never heard anyone say it so simply, or I really needed to hear that today. Or I just feel like I'm so happy. No, that's great. And uh, just to poke the other side of the argument, um, I was also kind of in the same boat as Dimitri with the TikTok, but um, <laughs> recently kind of started up on TikTok a little bit, partially just because um, I'm, I'm big on Strava, as you you kind of we kind yeah, of yeah. mentioned before the call, and um, just trying to kind of share the the runs I do on a, a, a you know a platform that has a little bit wider reach. I think that's what is really tough about the conversation around TikTok is like. You can see that the it can suck people down like this dark hole where you're just watching really mind-numbing memes and stuff like this. But there's also really good stuff on TikTok if you find it in the yeah. right places. And so 
if you're someone who is approaching it with, you know, the lens of trying to make some kind of impact and, you know, give an audience for, you know, a, a physical book that they could read down the line, it can be really great. And you can cast a really wide net with that. And so it, I, I go back and forth, but now I'm also on it. And so I oh, well, commend you, you for- If you follow me, I'll follow you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I'll give you a follow. <laughs> <after this. laughs> you know, um, the, the, you know, it's funny. I want, really want to thank Talk you guys the because you're making me kind of connect a couple of dots. Um, I think one of the things from the ADHD diagnosis is somehow it kind of gave me more permission to feel that I'm a creative because I never thought that. Mm. Um, and there is something like really creative about thinking, oh, like I'll, I'll give you an example. I, I read this article by this famous doctor who knows all about ADHD and he said the stupidest thing that I've ever heard. <laughs> he said, um, well, you know, this is true. The, the science is that ADHD brains do not produce as much dopamine and they look for more dopamine hits and that there's a, a high coexistence. I don't like the word comorbidity, coexistence of addiction and ADHD. Mm -hmm. And why? Because that's a really easy way to get dopamine, right? I mean, I hope that's right, but I, everything I've read, that, that is correct. So, so he goes, well, you know, that means you have to look for dopamine in other ways. So you should start a business or write a book or build a boat. I'm the like, third one was really weird. Who is that? I'm not going to say his name because he's a very esteemed doctor. In this. And I was like, what the hell is this guy talking about? What planet is he on? So then I thought, okay, I'm going to do a, like a series of posts. And I'm just going to say, we know we need more dopamine, but we're not going to build a boat. And so I did like three little mini ones about clean your, get rid of clothes out of your closet. Sure. Clean out your files. What was the third one? Start a project. I'm doing a productivity. I want to do a productivity workbook. And I bought all these productivity books and manuals. And I was like, you know, bake some cookies. Watch a video with your kids. Put some flowers in a vase. Like, those are all dopamine hits. You don't have to go build a boat. Nah. <laughs> and so... It kind of really gave me a way to just be playful and creative. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think that's a great way to approach content in general. Um, just being playful and creative. Um, it does, like I said, it comes off very human. It comes very much off. Like it's, it's you just being you, which I, which I really appreciate. And, um, as a, That's nice. as a I'm so excited that you looked. Thank you. Of course, yeah. And as a content creator, um, I, I can appreciate TikTok. I just, for me, as a distraction. So I try to stay off as best as I can. Listen, um, can I tell you both a fantastic book you should read? Sure. Okay, and it's of course you should read mine. Coach yourself. <laughs> but no, I was going to say, do you know this book? I'm super late to this party. Um, steal like an artist. Yeah, we uh, reviewed yeah. it on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, did you? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's awesome. I think that guy's like brilliant. 
I, I think there are no new ideas. You just got to add your own twist and build on things and, and kind of like what's original anymore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah what I did think, you think? Did I, you like it? I liked it a lot. I think content creation is um, as much a creative game as it is like a input output sort of game. Um, like I think you'll, you'll grow eventually over time as you practice and as you like kind of look at what other ideas kind of work and just doing yeah. it for for the the purpose of improving and and sharing what you want to share with others um and i think i think it was a very good it, it had a lot of good uh points to it that that definitely yeah uh, resound what was i thought was resonating with me what about you chance yeah i agree i think especially on the point of just getting reps in and kind of figuring out what yeah. is your voice i mean dimitri he yeah. posted on youtube every day for over a year and exploded in subscribers opened up doors that he didn't think were open previously and so i know he won't say it but i'll toot his horn is that it's definitely a testament to that it's just um you know he he's not rewriting all of like productivity software with every video he's just putting out a little video and you know improving your speaking skills your video editing skills and all that yeah 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 it was it's hard work right i mean that's a that's a big commitment good for you thank you yeah Yeah. and it definitely taught me that there's there's uh skills that can be gained in content creation in a lot of different ways like with that little year long uh youtube video exercise i mean like i just officiated my cousin's wedding right and everyone was like oh you're so well spoken about it and i was they're like what did you do to practice? And I was like, yeah, like, I mean, I had a script and like, I practiced like 10, 15 times, but I almost like, part of me wanted to be like, I basically speak for a living. I mean, I made like, I've made content online every day for like three years now. So like, it was like, I think truthfully, it's just the practice. And I'm like, they put a lapel mic on me for the, um, for the bride and groom's post wedding video. And I saw that and I said, all right, game on. (laughs) <laughs> you know, so I think it, yeah. it opens up a lot of avenues for, for yeah. expression, which I'm, I'm really happy that you're doing. You know, I have a guest suggestion for you. Mm. Um, I did uh, for oh, four or five years, I did improv. Oh, cool. And, cool, cool. Uh, and then I did stand up, but that was during COVID. And then I wrote my book and I couldn't do stand up and write my book because it was just too much time. Um, before I tell you who you should have as a guest, do you want to know where I had my only in-person stand-up show? Uh, Chicago. And no, that would have been cool in my mother's old folks home. That's oh, that's, awesome. That's fun. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. They were a pretty tough audience. I'll tell you. No, but what <laughs> I was going to say is, um, I, uh, my improv coach, teacher, whatever. His name is Rick Andrews. And he and, um, oh my God, Kornfeld. What's his first name? I can't think. Oh my God, I can't believe it. Kornfeld and Andrews have an improv show every Sunday at the Magnet Theater in New York. These guys are friggin' world-class geniuses. And Rick does a lot of improv Um, kind of in businesses as, as a creativity tool, innovation, you know, tool, team building. Oh my God, you would have such a good time if you had him on. He's, 
He's a genius. I, I can give you his contact info. Awesome. Yeah, for sure. That would be great. Yeah. You'd love him. You, you would, you would love him. I, I, can I tell you one quick story about him? Sure. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, so he did one night, uh, Kornfeld was away. I, I'm blanking on his first name. I don't know why. I just it, looked them up. I think, uh, oh, Lewis. Lewis. Thank you. He was my professor too at different times. And, um, Rick said, well, I'm going to do the show with my sister who is not an improv person. Right. And if, have you ever done improv? It's, it's hard. Like no. it's not easy. Right. So he gets his sister up there and a, a really good improver can also make someone else look good. But sure. she did amazing. And I said to him, wow, she was amazing. He goes, Oh yeah. She used to be a heroin addict. Nothing phases her. She can do anything. <laughs> and like, that's the kind of guy he is. He's awesome. You should have him on. Cause he also does this kind of creativity cross with business. It's amazing. Yeah. It sounds like it. I would love to see what that looks like in the, like a business workshop type of oh sense. Oh my God. God, oh I, my love God improv. I love improv. I love improv. I love stand up. So I think, yeah. 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 I might go back to it after I've written another book. It's a lot of work. Stand up is you 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 have to be on that all day long. Yeah, and I'm sure and the one thing I definitely learned when I've seen what uh a lot of the comedians end up saying is you go to all these places to test all the jokes and see which ones hit wow. and then the specials are just all the ones that hit. I know. Yeah, it's it's a lot of work, but um it, it's yeah. It's, but it's another way to be creative, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's the same thing with posting any piece of content. You, you got to post all of them and you know, nine times out of 10, it probably won't hit. And the one right. that you think won't be the one that hits is the one that explodes. MVP, minimally viable product, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I guess regarding the book, by the way, I did, oh, yeah. since we are getting towards the end of the hour, I just wanted to. I know to... I'm having too much fun. There it is. <laughs> Um, me too. I, I did wanted, you get a copy of it? Do you want me to send you a copy? I would be more than happy to. We uh, we're big Audible people. If that, I don't know. If, oh, it's on Audible. Yes, yes, oh, yes, great. yes, yes. Um, I saw that. Um, I wanted to have you just run with talking a little bit about what the book is about, and maybe yeah, and as a as an extra nugget, what's like been the the best or most impactful like learning experience that you've had from writing a book? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's easy. Um, basically, so the publisher called me and said, do you want to write a book? And I said, sure. And basically, this book is 10 years of coaching. I use about the same 12 frameworks over and over and over and over again. And they're in this book. And I would kind of categorize three of them as like takeoff frameworks, knowing your values, um, the actor spectator framework. And then there's one called mind the gap. Those are like how you kind of get going, right? How do you identify the problem? How do you, how do you have a direction? And then the next part of the book are communication frameworks, little checklist, um, non, one based on nonviolent communication, a, commu a, a conversation funnel. So how do you have challenging conversations? We all suck at them. And, you know, the amygdala gets involved too early. And mm -hmm. so 
these little frameworks give you a structure that, that just keeps you on track. Very helpful if you are neurodivergent too, right? Because it's very easy to get sort of blown off course. Mm. And then the next section is kind of about managing. Uh, the four keys to managing, and then it kind of goes into detail on those. And then about teams, how do you manage a team? How do you build a cohesive team? And then the last part is on habits. So you've done this good work. You have this realization about a behavior you want to do differently. How do you, you know, develop the kind of habits and rituals and routines to solidify those wins? That's what the book is. So it, it's kind of like a DIY coaching book, right? You're never going to sit down and read it like a novel. But if you skim it and know the sections, then you can go, oh, I'm having trouble with Eddie at work. Let me see if I can get an idea about a framework that might give me ideas about how to have that conversation. That's that's the way it should be used. Yeah, I think that's... um. It's a good approach. I know that there's a, there's a book that I'm familiar with. Uh, you heard of Principles by Ray Dalio? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's kind of giving me that sort of vibe in the sense that like nothing yeah. is nothing's new. Once again, it's it's more of a concept of like no, no situation's ever been new. So like how do you handle it? It's actually just based off of principles. Um, yeah. So I can see yeah. I can see it. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's very practical. Um it's very practical, but you know, again, what's my secret agenda? My secret agenda is I want everyone to be <laughs> full, purposeful people. And if you do some of the stuff in this book, you will just be moving forward towards becoming a better person with more purpose. Well, th- I, I, I love that that's, your, um, that's the way that you're approaching things. We, we really enjoyed having you on. As a final plug, what would you like everyone to go check out? Um, I know it's probably your book, but I'd love you to to, yeah. to give a shout out where it is and where they can get it so we can. Uh, sure. Yeah, out. thanks. Yeah, you guys are great. Um, so it's on Amazon and um, Coach Yourself. That's all you need. And Tonya Bowering, find it, buy it, review it buy it for everyone in your company, buy it for your family for the holidays are coming up. And um, you can find me on LinkedIn, just my name, Antonia Bowering. And you can find me on TikTok, Antonia Bowering 963. And I'm on Instagram, but I don't really, I just post pictures of people reading my book saying, coach yourself at the gym, coach yourself on the subway. I love that. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Antonia. We really appreciate having you on. Coach yourself. Make Uh, sure to get it out now and make sure to check her out on TikTok as well. Thank you guys so much for listening to episode 173 of the Rise Productive Podcast. And we will see you in the next one. Bye. Bye.